Hey Playwright, I'm Tori Rice. And I'm Mabel Reynoso. And welcome to Hey Playwright, a podcast about playwriting and life. Hey Tori. Hey Mabel. We made it to yeah. our season finale. Woohoo! Season two. Oh my gosh, it was such a great season. I think so. Oh, yes. It's weird because I didn't think that this I don't know what I thought that this podcast would be, to be honest. I when we when we started it, I I don't know what it was. We were we just wanted to 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 have a space where we could talk about writing and storytelling storytelling and and also commiserate about I was gonna say about being artists but really it's commiserate about being moms yes it is (laughs) it it totally is so I will say this we we talk a lot during these podcasts these episodes are really when we record them we talk a lot especially when we do our our lead-ins right the things that don't make it into the final cut are often things about us, you know, obviously a lot about our kids, right? We're, right, right. We're sparing them. Um, maybe some some stuff that involves alcohol that doesn't make the cut. <laughs> and also, so much of what doesn't make it here is conversation regarding our guest today. <laughs> because we just go on and on about how our guest today is so amazing and so inspiring. And it is a dream come true that our guest is our season two finale and that we have been able to get to know him and take a class from him. I think his art has had such a huge impact on my work as a teaching artist, as a playwright, as an educator. I definitely, after having his class, I it gave me the confidence to continue to move forward with my play that's for younger audiences and I feel like I got so many tools from him as a teaching artist and I'm definitely approaching my classes differently as a result without further ado Tori without further ado and oh my gosh (laughs) Tori you don't even know you don't even know what Today? is it you say? You you wor- you worship at the church of this person? Yes. <laughs> that is correct. So that's weird now to start it like that <laughs> because he's here and he just heard that. Um, but today we are so honored to have my hero, Idris Goodwin. And Idris is an award-winning scriptwriter, breakbeat poet, educator, and director of the Colorado Spring Fine Arts Center at Colorado College. And he was recently named a 2021 United States Artist Fellow. Oh my goodness. Welcome. 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 <laughs> welcome. Oh my gosh, you guys. I'm so honored and flattered. Uh, it's great to be with you all. I'm a fan of you both as well. Thank you for doing this and carving out this space for writers. Um, and just for your great energy, you know, this time has been so challenging for everybody. And as a theater maker, I mean, you know, the the, the amount of time that we've had away from our creative co- communities, our artistic communities, not just the audiences, but also just the people we make this stuff with, you know, it's it's been hard. And so, you know, the energy that you all are providing is like, it's just great. It's really food and, and uh, I'm honored and it's great. And yeah, and I'm gonna pass the collection plate around since this, this is the church. Yes. <laughs> kidding, I'm joking, joshing. What's up? Uh, well, you have been an incredible source of inspiration um, to us, and as you were saying, talking about not having access to our creative community in person, it, this was a way for us to um, find an an entry into how can we can continue to connect and elevate voices of people we love and respect in the community and and also just to you know share the joy and the love and and that's one reason we're really excited to have you on here because you are a very generous artist and human being when it comes to your work and that is something that is is just so um awesome how accessible you make everything but we will we'll get into that later into the program and bell do you want to kick us off let's start with the beginning of you tell us about the history of you all right 
Um, so I was born in Detroit, Michigan, uh, to Donald and Patricia Goodwin, who, um, uh, you know, and, and just grew up around a lot of, a lot of my family. I mean, all my aunts, uncles, grandmas, they all were in Detroit and, uh, my folks, my people come from the South Georgia and Mississippi respectively. Um, you know, so brought all of that flavor and vibe to Detroit, Michigan, where they moved during the, the great migration. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's where I'm coming from Midwest with, with heavy Southern roots, uh, no playwrights, no people in the quote unquote industry, people who, you know, working, working folks, you know, teachers, um, administrators, you know, just sit down job type folks, you know what I mean? And um, very, very uh, religious, you know, Baptist church, everything happens at the church. Um, summertime, you go on a vacation Bible school, you I mean, just everything's popping at the church. So the church is where I first was in plays. The church is where I had my little Easter speech that I had to memorize. The church is where I really found my comfort level with audiences, but also understood the dynamics of the audience. So the pastor was the was the man he was the he was that dude you know um the way he would engage and use language and interpret text and then you know the 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 congregation would would amen and tell him to tell it and people would lose them you know get 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 the spirit and all of that and so that is my sort of foundation in 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 performing in in performance and and in group gathering and ritual and and all of that um and so, you know, and then while that's happening, you know, hip hop music is happening. You know, I'm I'm born in 77. Hip hop starts happening in like the, you know, the 70s as well, the earlier 70s. But we get albums, records and songs like Rapper's Delight and The Message. And I'm six, seven, eight years old, you know. So um, all that to say that, you know, very early on, I was very in tune to the power of language and words, but also like rhythm, like the rhythm of the living word and uh, engaging with people and engaging with communities, um, deeply connected to uh, the, the, you know, black arts, black art forms, uh, you know, things in the gospel, blues, tradition, poetry, you know, the poetry of Maya Angelou, the poetry of Mary Baraka um spiritual music um hip-hop music you know all that's in in me you know um as well as you know <clears throat> the, the you know comic books and the birth of cable television and you know we moved to the suburbs and in in the in the um very late 80s um and so you know i'm going to i'm i'm, I'm moved from a very um, mostly black neighborhood to a predominantly white uh, neighborhood and suburbs in a, in a time of a great boom of pop culture, you know, and so I'm starting to get influenced by like, you know, metal and rock and, and skateboards and, and all of that stuff too. So, uh, and then I moved to Chicago. I moved to Chicago because I, I knew I didn't belong. I had a very inherent sense, even as a young person that I did not belong in Michigan at that time. Um, there just wasn't it was it was too separated there wasn't a lot of outlets for creatives uh and so i knew that this was going to be my life i knew that creating and telling stories was going to be my life um i also you know was dealing with all that angst all that young person angst you know didn't know who i was and you know just 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 struggling with a lot of like just personality stuff and uh moved to chicago chicago was this bustling metropolis of possibility, um, just a thriving theater scene, a thriving music scene, a thriving weirdo art scene, you know, but very Midwestern ethos. So very DIY, very independent oriented, you know, there's a whole, um, you know, I came up in the, in the era of the independent film boom of the early nineties. I actually worked at a video store at the time, shout out the Dabrowski's and video junction. Uh, now defunct, but, um, uh, you know, so that spirit of independence coupled with my, the, the gaping hole that I was trying to fill, um, you know, I just, it was like, a, 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 you know, it was like I had a, um, I'm realizing now that I was like, I, I, I think I just had this, you know, 
I mean, thank God I filled it with productive things, you know, art making things. But I, I was, it was, it was, I was filling some hole, you know, it was like, and I was approaching it like an addict. But uh, thankfully, you know, it, you know, it, it was, it was, it was, I was building something. I was building a, a reputation. I was building my voice. I was learning how to collaborate. I was learning skills. I was um, also started becoming a teaching artist, if you can believe that. Uh, and, um, and so, you know, that, those are the, that, that's my foundation is this, this, um, this hunger and this desire to sort of, um, uh, explore and find myself and figure out how to be an effective storyteller, but also how to, how to find a community, how to find my tribe, which, um, which is what Chicago gave me. And I'll always be grateful to that city, uh, for that. Um, I don't know how deep you want me to go, but that's, that's the where, I guess, where do you come from? I mean, that's, that's really, that's like really preceding any sort of like, I'm going to be a professional writer now. And I, you know, just, just in those sort of searching years, you know, where you're juggling and you're doing stuff to do the stuff because there's some voice that's like, yeah, what are you doing? Like, you got to go do something, you know? Uh, but that's, that's basically the, the foundation. So did you always know, it sounds like theater was a part of, or the, the theatrical, but also the theatrical experience of, you mentioned with um, with your church going. It is very theatrical, it sounds like. Um, and so did you always know that theater was going to be the way? Oh, right. No. So story is I went to Columbia College in Chicago for film because you couldn't go to college for hip hop in 1996. <laughs> and also my grades weren't good enough to get into like NYU or UCS, USC. Also, I was not brave enough at that time to move that far away uh, from from home. Uh, those cities probably would have eaten me up. And I was pretty tough and scrappy. But, um, you know, I knew Chicago was like, okay, if I get in a pinch, I can be home in six hours, right? Um, and so, and you could afford to live there. I mean, it was, you know, Chicago was a great, especially at that time, you know, you could be a working artist in that city. Um, uh, and, and, you know, work a couple hustles, but still get your plays up. So I was in film school, uh, hanging out with a lot of actors because, you know, you, you're making short films and student films. And, um, and so I was hanging out with all these actors and I would go to their plays and I'd help them memorize lines and their parties were way better. Theater parties uh, were way better than film parties. So, you know, just after a while, you know, I was really interested in writing because of my, my interest in hip hop and writing. You know, I was already comfortable with the page and with writing. And I also wrote short stories and comics and all that stuff. So um, I was pretty comfortable with, with storytelling within different forms. And I'd seen enough plays to begin to understand forms. Um, and so then when I graduated, you know, I, I was like something in me was like, ah, you're going to go out to L.A. You're going to have like nine roommates. And you're gonna like fetch, you know, some 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 idiot diet cokes all day. So you and and it's like you know, and it's like you might as well stay here and do that, and and live and be able to stretch your dollars a little bit more because I knew I was like you have to learn how to tell a story. You have to learn how to actually captivate an audience's attention, and so that's what theater provided me. It was just way more accessible and open for me in Chicago. Um, and so I met a man named Bo O'Reilly who had a, uh, who run, you know, he still, he founded and still runs a theater company called the Curious Theater Branch. Every year they had what was known as the Rhinoceros Theater Festival, which just this, this, it was essentially a fringe festival, but they didn't call it that because it was much more curated. And um, he invited me into it. He was like, you should write a play and, and do it in my festival. And so I wrote a two person play called Brazing, which went up in um, September of 2001. And the second show, the second performance was on Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. And uh, I'll never forget that. Um, and that show got canceled, as you can imagine. Um, but the but I, but yeah, so that that was uh, that was the beginning. And I got a good review. I got a very good review. And so that's all it took because I was, it, I, was, <laughs> I was I was I was dealing with a lot of um insecurity at the time so that that kind of vote of confidence went a long way with me that same critic a couple of years later destroyed me uh, and so i got an education very quick about critics um but nonetheless yeah and so and i just like i said i just wanted to make i just wanted to make and i wanted to learn and i wanted you know um you know that that was my that was my scene you know was was doing these plays and so 
uh, started a little collective called Hermit Arts, and uh, it was me and a few other folks, and we did everything. We wrote the plays, we were in the plays, we directed the plays, we made the flyers, we cut the flyers, we hung the flyers, we, you know what I'm saying, we did we did everything, you know, and, and we had a blast. We had a time, the time of our lives, um, and there's still a lot about that time that I that I that I miss in, in some ways. Um, there was a certain level of uh, freedom, a certain level of uh, bravery and adventure and, and purity uh, in that time, albeit so many other negative things. But, <laughs> but uh, I look back on it finally. That is awesome. That's so great to hear. Oh my gosh. You know, one thing that, that stuck out to me is that you actually did have this, I don't know if it would be foresight or wisdom that to know that you should stay in this place where you could develop and nurture your art instead of going to one of the flashy places, you know, like yeah. New York or LA. So, and that I, I think as a, as a young person, that's, that's huge to, to have that 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 insight into yourself and go okay yeah i know that i'm gonna be okay if i if i stay here and develop and find your community there you know you've already started yeah. to develop it and stay there and continue to grow there yeah i realized at the time i i was i was not i you know because listen there are those people those individuals who you know are like yo i had you know 500 dollars and a dream and i packed up my car you know and i i respect that and that and that's brave too for me, at that stage of my life, yo, I just needed, I, I was just, I just, it was, it was more about identity. It was, it was, it was therapy. It was something else I needed. I was just trying to find myself. And I was like, whatever, I've always had jobs, you know, I had been, you know, I, I'd always had jobs. So I was like, whatever, I'll work some jobs. Like that just wasn't, I wasn't tripping on that. That wasn't really a thing. So for me, it was a balance of, you know, I, this is a city that's got way more of, a, of outlets than Michigan did. I didn't really have anybody in my ear that was hipping me to the game. I mean, I had no real mentors. I didn't know where to go. There was no one really hipping me to what what I should do. You know, and this is also before the 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 speed and the breadth of the internet as well. So, you know, I I was just careful. You know, I was like, I'm gonna go to L.A. Because what was my fear is like, you're gonna go to L.A. And you're gonna run out of money. You're gonna you're gonna burn out. You're gonna have to go back home. And I was like, I'm not doing that. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm taking a different route to do this. But I just I just I, you know I'm not one of these people that is uncomfortable with not knowing stuff. And I'm like I I was like I like to take my time. I'm like I don't know. I need to figure it out. You know, mm -hmm. I have I have some undiagnosed attention deficit disorder type of situation going on. I'm sure of it. And um, and and I'm beginning to unpack and understand all the ways that that challenges me in my life, and at that time I'm sure that's what was going on. Um, but uh, no, but Chicago was it wasn't a consolation prize. I mean that place gave me so much, many things I draw on to this day, and uh, yeah, and so it wasn't a consolation prize. And and I remember I remember uh, uh, Tanya Siracho, the player at Tanya Siracho, uh, also kind of came up had similar like had her own collective um uh teatro luna and uh, it was all female um uh latinx uh theater company um did a lot of devised work a lot of ensemble work and we would so we'd see each other all the time like our paths would cross all the time because they were the other they had their stuff way more together than we did though so let's just <laughs> be on the record but they were the other sort of scrappy you know post-grad you know group of, of writers trying to get it and but then I start, so I would always see Tanya like in the lobby or we, you know, we never get to see each other's shows because our shows were always at the same time on the same night. But then one day she was telling me, she's like, yeah, I got this commission from Steppenwolf, you know, this, that, and the third. I'm like, what's a commission? Who is Steppenwolf? You know? And she was like, yeah, you know, bum, bum, bum. And they pay me this bread and I'm going to write this show. And I was like, what do you mean they paid you to write a play? You know, I just, I had no idea of how the theater economy worked and that there were playwrights alive and making money and just, there's, they're so little understanding of that that's that you're taught and so that's when i was like oh well, i gotta figure out how, i want some money to get to write a play you know um and, <laughs> and that sort of kind of was in my head as i sort of transitioned from the chicago years to this other you know sort of theater industry big quotes um 
uh, life and adventure I went on, you know, in like 20, 2011 with, you know, how we got on. And that's kind of led me, that's kind of defined the last 10 years. What was your first commission? My first commission, my first commission. Well, there's the technically answer and then there's the actual answer. So, <laughs> uh, I think in terms of how you mean it or in terms of the Tanya Sriracha thing, like, yeah. Um, I got commissioned. I, I got commissioned by Denver Center, actually, because I was moving to Colorado Springs in 20. I moved to Colorado Springs. I, this is my set. I'm back. Like, I lived in Colorado Springs for 2012, 2018. Then I left and lived in Louisville for two years. And then I I'm back in Colorado Springs now. So when we were driving to Colorado Springs uh, in 2012, I got a call from the Denver Center and they commissioned me. They never produced the play, though. Um, but that was, that was a big deal for me. Um, and so that one was my first one. Now, Ted, like, like actually, actually my first commission commission was, uh, from the Maxwell street preserve, uh, preservation coalition. Maxwell street is this historic area in Chicago. It was just this huge influx. It's like where all these different immigrant communities would start out. And so there was this massive outdoor bazaar you know, that for, for, for decades, people would come to and, and buy things and buy random things. But it was also this hodgepodge melting pot of sort of cross-culturalism. And it's where the blue, you know, it's where all these different black artists from Mississippi and from Georgia and Alabama would come and play on the street. And, you know, it's like where, where we get chess records comes out of that. And, you know, so uh, it's got this rich history. And so it got the University of Illinois, uh, Chicago, basically gentrified it, basically like kicked it out because it was also like, you know, somewhat sketchy, you know, it was a little, it was a little, it was a little, it was a little, you know, it was a little, a uh, little bit um, un unregulated, you know, which is part of its charm, of course, but also, uh, you know, tends to make the middle class very uncomfortable. So I wrote a play, that was my first commission, that was the first time I got a check to write a play because they wanted me to write a play about that area and the history based on this, this tome of oral histories. So anyway, uh, I'm totally gotten lost in your question, but yes, that was one of the first ones. Uh, Stage One Family Theater and Steppenwolf were also other ones, and that's and those were two TYA companies, and that and that's kind of really the beginnings of my sort of TYA life. Um, is is uh, Stage One Family Theater and and Steppenwolf uh, Theater for Young Audiences. When you first got involved with TYA, did you was that something that you were open to? Was it like, oh, I'm going to try this out, or because I got commissioned for it, or did it was it something that you found exciting? Because people have have interesting reactions to TYA, I think. Yeah. So my, so I've always had one foot in education and making art. I've, I've you know, shout out all the teaching artists, you know what I mean? Like, uh, just it, to me, they're just, they're, they're, they've always had a close relationship. Cause that, that's a very Chicago thing too. I mean, I'm sure it's like that in a lot of cities, but definitely in Chicago, like to be a wor working artist means that you are also teaching. Like, that's just what it is. And that was the end game. That's why I even bothered to get a master's degree. It wasn't because I was like, I want to be a master of my craft. It was like, I, I need to get this MFA so I can teach because that's just what you do. You know, that, that and all my mentors at the time, that's what they did. They were professors who also were shooting films on the weekend. And, you know, they might get a book deal here, have a reading here, or go on a tour here. But generally, like what holds them down is their is their academic gig and and that seemed fine to me that did not seem like a consolation prize to me and even like you know my hollywood and new york friends you know i would hear their lives like they, there was a lot of waiting there's a lot of like uncertainty and like yeah they might get a windfall but those are like six years apart sometimes and i'm like yo man i'm t i'm from michigan man I, I i grew up with an urban planner and an engineer father like I ain't, ain't going to be no waiting by the phone. Like I, I got to have my, I got to know where my paper coming, you know what I mean? So, um, so anyway, so, so I, I was very comfortable with working with youth and getting them to create. I mean, I, you know, in the Chicago years, I, you know, this was the first, I got this grant from the national endowment for the arts and TCG in like 20, like Oh four or something like that. Oh four, Oh five, Oh four. And, uh, and it was to be an artist in residence at, it was it was for playwright to decide I'm going to be a playwright in residence at this theater, and I picked Free Street. I picked Free Street Programs, which is a which is a um, community based theater company based in out of a um, a community center out of um, the Pulaski Park building. Don't give me the line Pulaski Park building 
in, in Wicker Park in Chicago. They were one of the first integrated, they presented some of the first integrated, racially integrated casts in Chicago in the 60s. So that was where I did my playwriting residence. You know, all my peers were like, you know, I'm at the, you know, this regional theater, that regional theater. I'm like, yeah, I'm hanging out with these kids all day doing contact improv and telling them to like write bars, you know. So <laughs> I just was very used to that. So the thought of TYA and all that, I was like, oh, that's what y'all call it? Like, you know, um, and also just because of hip hop music, you know, there is a, there is a, you know, it's ironic because hip hop is thought to be this very dangerous and parental advisory and explicit language, but it's also an art form that's made by young people. Like, you know, teenagers, like LL Cool J was like 14, 15 when he got, you know, it's like, it's always been young music. And it started outside, you know, hip hop was set out in the park, you know, we used to do it out in the dark, you know, it, it and there's a thread of, of, um, you know, because of the 5% um, uh, uh, influence on the music too, there's always this thread of teach one, each one, teach one, you know, KRS one was one of my favorite rappers. He's got a song called you must learn. He put out, a, he put out a whole album called edutainment, you know, so um, being knowledgeable, um, you know, being knowledgeable, having something to talk about, uncovering the truth, expanding dominant cultural narratives, you know, being protecting and being the, the griot, the carrier of your people's story, because it's not written about accurately, you know, this whole thing with uh, Mitch McConnell and the rest of the clown car, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, say, oh, we're not going to do no federal funding for 1619 because it presents um, uh, a history uh, that's full of errors. And I'm like, really, bro? Really? Now you suddenly care about accuracy? Now you care about accuracy? Do you want to see the books that I had to look at, you know, how my people's story was framed and how, you know, I didn't know nothing about Native Americans, none of that stuff, inaccuracy? You want to tell me why I'm walking around with, with this sociopath named Andrew Jackson in my pocket right now with his face? And you want to talk about, in that, get, get out of here. So the music and, and the culture I was coming from, it was about expanding like narratives and your story. And like, you know, you telling your own story and your people's story uh, to me was at the core of who I was. So flash forward, all that to say, to me, it wasn't, Again, it wasn't a consolation prize. It was like, that's an honor to me. And when I saw and in this corner, Cassius Clay in Louisville, Kentucky, at uh, the Kentucky Center, and it was like 400 kids in there watching my play, I was like, yo, this is this is where it's at. You know, like, this is where it's at. You know, I had had plays, you know, I mean, you know, uh, my play, How We Got On, uh, which is kind of the play that kind of cemented me as like, oh, he's a professional, right? Um you know, I remember when that play opened during like industry weekend, you know, and this is a play about these hip hop kids and in the eighties and, and, you know, originally I wrote that play. I was going to go back. I was living in Iowa at the time. I was going to go back to Chicago. I was going to do that play with the homies. Like that's why it's written. Like it's written. You know what I mean? Like how we got on is basically like, there's a DJ narrator type person. That's like sort of treating the whole play as if it was a mixtape, as if the scenes were records and I wrote it that way because I was like, I want us to be able to just do this. I want us to be able to like open up the garage door. There's two turntables on some milk crates and two mics, and that's going to be the play. And so anyway, through, through you know, just the, the channels of the O'Neill, the Eugene O'Neill Center, and then getting it to Access City of Louisville and getting it in the Humana Festival, which is a dream. I still remember during Industry Weekend when all these casting directors and artistic directors and producers and Muckety Muss came out. And, you know, and it was there were some people who were really like, oh, my God, that's amazing. But there were some people who were real like, you know, too cool for school, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I remember at the time feeling a little weird about it. I didn't feel as excited as I thought I was going to. Now, when I went and saw and in this cash, corner Cassius Clay with all those kids, like there was no cool for school. Like it, all those responses were pure and honest and real and urgent. And I was like, this is where it's at. You know what I mean? This is where it's at. Um, so to me, getting to write for young people to me is like a huge honor. It's it, 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 it's it's um it's like trust. Like you're being trusted, you know, to to um, take our kids on a journey to to get to get to tell them stories. Like that to me is like a really big deal. You know, um, 
Anyway, I'll stop there. Oh my God, I'm getting emotional. I I know, you don't have to stop. We, so much of what you're saying just resonates. So Tori and I work, you know, we're, obviously we're teaching artists, right? And- Salutes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we work, we tend to work with justice involved youth. Why do you think it's important for, for educators and teaching artists, it's not just educators, it's teaching artists, it's everyone who works with kids to be exposed to work that is outside of the the Western European canon of like, let's just show them, um, you know, Peter and Wendy. Yeah, because, well, I have so many things I want to say to that. <laughs> I think that our job is to get, is to, is to make young people... Um, is to is to feed is to feed their sense of wonder and curiosity, to feed their vitality, their sense of like excitement, you know, to, to, to all of that. It, it's it's just about their spirits, you know, and about figuring out who they are and getting them to reflect and and a, it's about a conversation. I find that because listen, I you know, there's a lot of the things in the in the so-called canon that. I, I, I'm cool with that I like, you know, but there's also a lot of other stuff, you know, there's also a lot of other stuff. And what are we trying to do here? Like we're trying to get them excited. We're trying to wake them up. And so I think some of it is about, I think, I think some of it is about preservation. I think a lot of what happens in education is really about cultural preservation. And that's not interesting to me. That to me is not that's not the object like the objective to me has to be about the student about the student and their sense of curious you know energy like it's just fostering that energy in them and you know so if we make it about that and not about cultural preservation you as a teacher you then become like a dj right and so you got this room full of people and you like i want these people to turn up okay i want them to turn up i want them to be awake and alive af right so you're gonna go in your crate and be like okay here's the stuff that makes me feel awake and alive or even if it's like you know i've been doing some virtual djing stuff at the college for the college and and i have to i try to balance it where i'm like i try to play the stuff that i that that i think is funky and that i think is really dope but i also try to like be open to stuff that they like because they're 19 20 and i can't even begin to know the stuff that they're rocking to and so I'm open to requests as well, and I try to find the through lines. I try to find like the BPM, or you know, oh, this was produced by such and such, and so this this producer did some dope stuff in 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 the '90s. So I'm gonna like build a bridge between the stuff they produced in the '90s and this thing they're producing now, right? So I think that's what I think. I think like standard, like standardized curriculums and like things that are already set in stone are actually can be a real detriment to the the teacher's sense of individuality or their pedagogical um strengths right um so you know for me i think it's about awareness it's about making sure educators are aware of all the things that are available to them i think for artists for creators of material for young people those people need to be supported and also need to be introduced to those educators um and i think that superintendents and and boards uh, need to be less rigid um, and, and be and be a bit more empowering and trusting of of the educators and what their sensibility is and and who they're serving and who their demographics are. Um, and then also, I think that we've got to examine and be honest about like how much of this is about we just think you should know this because we deem this important, you know, because, again, that's what's happening. That's what we're seeing in, in, in government. That's what the last uh, administration tried to do, where they were like, you know, they use this language around like Anglo-European mm-hmm. architecture and aesthetics. And, you know, they're tr- it's cultural preservation. Um, it's trying to hang on to this uh, this dominance of the, you know, dominant narratives, dominant themes, dominant um, dominant values. Right. And story is where all that stuff comes from. It's it's so much it's it's so much. It's all about stories. It's all about story, about who's centered, about who's represented, you know, and that's why um, it's so dangerous. And and folks are trying to undo it. It's also why it is how it is. Why else would you tell 
a teacher, okay, here are the books that you can teach and here are the books you can't teach. Like, why would you do that? Right? Like, you know, why would we do this? Why would we do this? Why do we even have banned books? Right. So um, anyway, I think I think it's critical for so many reasons, um, um, because at the end of the day, it's also not that deep, man. If a person, you know, stories are powerful because we see ourselves right as humans, just just generally speaking. So, like, you know, I am not a, a short white man wearing a life preserver, but I see myself in Marty McFly, you know, in 1985, I saw myself in Marty McFly, right? Um, but, you know, I saw myself more, you know, in, in people who looked, looked more like me, you know, Marty McFly guy, you know, um, I, I made sure that my son saw that Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, because I'm like, I never had a black, a black Spider-Man. You know, I couldn't have imagined a black Spider-Man. And for you, I want you to only know a black Spider-Man, first and foremost, to know a black Spider-Man, you know. So. Um, so, yeah, representation is everything. Um, and, and but really empowerment of educators and empowerment of students is, is everything, too. And also, too, man, getting them to tell their story. I mean, that's the other thing, too, is like we don't have to just center like, OK, this is a great story. This is a great. It's like, what is your story? Right. What is your story? You know, um, yeah, I'll stop there because I could go on. You really lift people up. I mean, Mabel and I experienced that firsthand just being in a workshop with you. And usually, like, if someone is a teacher or in that position of power, um, you know, you've got this hierarchy, right? Uh, but we didn't feel that in your classroom. So how did you get to be that way? Like, what what is your approach to feedback? You know, how are you so cool? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, um, I'll, I'll take that. I received that uh, compliment. Um, uh, I came up in the I came up in the freestyle cipher, you know, um, and the freestyle cipher is all about, you know, connection and listening and give and take and presence. And for those who may not know what a freestyle cipher is, it's like it's it's sort of an un unplanned, completely organic. Um, improvisational space where typically rappers just just come up with things on the spot and sort of like go back and forth and talk to each other and sort of create this and it usually is always in a circle you know that's where the cipher comes you know it's always in a circle um, and in the circle and in the cipher there is no hierarchy um, mm. and you know it's a circle not a pyramid and so I just view teaching as a conversation and I view my role is, particularly in creative spaces, my role is just to facilitate, congratulate, um, invite, you know, um, and create and facilitate a space, create a space. I, I look at, you know, I, I, so for me, it all comes from hip hop, basically. It's just like, you know, the DJ is in service. The, the rapper is called the master of ceremonies, an MC. And the MC is there to move the crowd. And so this word power you threw out, like, I don't have the power. You, you all give me power. And if I mm -hmm. abuse that or if I take it for granted, you all can easily take it away by just not showing up. And by not showing up, I mean literally not showing up, but also just mentally not showing up. That I'm just some idiot running his mouth. And, um, and so that's, that's just how I view it. You know, that's, that's, that's the job, you know. And I really am really, truly, authentically interested and I love, I mean, I'm, I'm at bliss when I'm around creative people and we're just chopping it up and just freestyling, you know, just talking about our ideas. And, um, and you know, just to kind of jump backwards a little bit, you know, I was saying, like, I didn't really have anybody put me up on game. Uh, and so I'm trying to be the person that I desperately needed uh, in 1998 <laughs> and 99 and 2000 and 2001 and 2002 and today. In 2021. Um, yeah, yeah, so that, that's, that's who I'm trying to be. Like I'm trying to just really um, be of service, be of use. And, uh, and, and I get a lot out of it too. I mean, it's, it's a purely beautiful reciprocal thing. Yeah, it was joyful. Well, good. I'm glad y'all were into it. Yeah, it was great yeah, having we, you. We, like, we it enjoyed was it. Really inspiring. Yeah, you guys are amazing uh, artists. <sighs> well, 
Wow. Speaking of, okay. of joyful, this is one question that, that I struggle with. And then there's there's so much joy in how you present yourself. I think when I saw um, your house is not just a home, I started crying because I was like, well, I think that's probably the most beautiful, just the most beautiful piece I've seen in this whole pandemic, like stem from this. And I've seen oh, a lot of things. And yeah. that just because it spoke to my kids. You know, and I and that's that's my source of joy. But my question to you is like, it's been rough. It's rough. It's always rough. It's not. It's like it's it's just it's keep continues to be rough. How do you, as somebody who takes that in and then and creates from that, like how do you protect your joy? Um, poorly. (laughs) No, I mean, I yeah, I don't know. I need so much help. Um, no, I I um, you know, my kids give me a lot of joy. Um. But uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, I wish I knew the answer. I don't. I, I um, I'm coming to terms with the fact that uh, um, you know, it's like, bro, let's 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 talk about like why you why you do this stuff. Like, what is this really about? Before, because before it was like, yeah, you know, I'm just trying to do my thing. I'm trying to make them waves. I'm trying to, you know, whatever. And and that's all true. Uh, but there are definitely there's definitely a. Um, you know, because it started for me as as a therapy thing, and it started for me as an identity thing, and and then I started, I figured out how to monetize it, and that's a blessing, you know. And I'm also just, you know, I'm also like I'm a crafts person, and I just like to to figure these puzzles out and just make beautiful things. But I'm in all of it, you know. My the the, the cornerstone of my artistic practices has got to stem from me for real somewhere. You know, it's not that everything's autobiographical, but like it's got to be personal. I got, I got to care. I got to be connected, some way. And um, and it it does take a toll. You know what I mean? Um, but for me, it is like kind of a recycling thing where, it, it you know I I process the world through the work. I guess that's probably the the, the most semi cogent thing I could say is that I I process the world through the work and and I find I guess I find joy in in the in that process. So um, the process of making it, constructing it, um, and then folks responding well to it, positively to it, uh, gives me a good sense of satisfaction because it's like, okay, you know, let's examine why that worked, why, why that was effective. Okay, so, you know, it, it had this, it had this, it had this. Okay, fascinating. Okay, let's put that in the toolbox, you know, and then the things that don't work out, it's like, let's never speak of this again. Um, <laughs> take that tool out. <laughs> oh, but I honestly and I and I realized this during this time. Um you know, I I have I I was I was I was good for like a good 8 8 months, 8 9 months, but now I I desperately miss my um the collaborative the working community. Um and I'm just making me realize that pretty much all of my friendships um are based around creativity like working on things, you know, like I don't really have any friends uh, that I just like kick it with. I mean, I'm my family, you know, but I don't, I don't really just like kick it with like my neighbor, Frank, and we just talk about, <laughs> you know, whatever, like, you know, it's like all of my major relationships and friendships are based around, you know, the, the making of things, you know. Is the world opening up for you? Because I think over here, um, people are starting to, to meet. And I think theater is is starting to happen again, and I know rehearsals are starting to happen. Or is that happening for you now? Are getting you... there, yeah, yeah, getting there. Baby steps, baby steps. Um, yeah, baby steps. We're getting there a little bit. Um, yeah, and I've done some things. I mean, I I, I did this. Uh, I wrote this piece called uh, A Tribe Called Tubman, uh, which was like a long form monologue for one actor um, that sort of imagines Harriet Tubman alive and 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 dropping gems today, like sort of this idea that she continues to be resurrected. Um, and so she's trying to teach this 2021 audience about how to how to get change. Like, how do you and how do you like really like what are the tools that you'll need? Right. So it's like kind of like a, a Harriet Tubman um, memoir slash TED talk. Right. <laughs> um, um, and uh, we shot it, though. We, we I collaborated with the Black Actors Guild uh, out of uh, Denver. And we shot it, um, and uh, it's being distributed, uh, streaming. You can stream it through um, Theater Works USA, uh, their their platform, their streaming platform. So that was great. I mean, you know, we were dis- we were masked, you know, all those things. But um, even that project, which we shot in two days, uh, was really, really. It was stressful, but it was really awesome as well. And then the editing process and all that. But. Um, 
you know, and then, you know, and then I'm working on tons of stuff and you, you do the best you can through Zoom. But I think I just miss the sort of more intense personal um, uh, collaborations, but also like being in cities and different cities and seeing different audiences and smelling the different air and. And, and, and just having that time, like, you know, after rehearsal, you, 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 you sit in the coffee shop or wherever and you just kind of ruminate on it. And that I, I'm kind of missing because, you know, doing it this way is so, it's so controlled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it just, it, it's so, um, yeah, that's all like, controlled is the only word I can come up with. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I feel that it's, it's um, not having the energy of people in real life mm -hmm. has, I think it's been a challenge for all of us and, and our youth yeah, <laughs> in yeah. a big way, yeah, you know? Yeah, for, oh, for sure, for sure. What do you have to say about approaching difficult subject matter? There should be nothing. There should be nothing we can't get into. I'm sorry, if it involves people and the human journey, Kids, no one's got kids are there. What are we, why are we acting? Kids aren't around. Like there were kids, there were kids around during every natural disaster, during every genocide. Every you know, there there have been kids. There have been young people, and um, and yeah, that's like super whack to me. Like why would you not? You can do anything about anything. You know, it's interesting though because I was looking at um, Mabel. It was really, it was in one of those journals from the theater, the teachers that, that work with kids at, at NCTE. Yeah, yeah, NCTE. Mm -hmm. And in that journal, it's specifically focused on drama activities in the classroom, but the teachers were all afraid to do any material that had to do with death or abuse or you know, things that kids are really dealing with and are so hungry to talk about. Um, and they were they were talking about um, books, picture books, they call them crossover books, that are picture books, but that are also dealing with difficult subject matter, then it gives ch children an opportunity to talk about it or to reflect or to, you know, because it's lived experience right yeah you have so, to i mean it has to it has to make sense for their age right where of they're course. at mm -hmm. you know i had a friend a good friend of my well i don't know why i call him a good friend he's someone i know he's not a good friend um, <laughs> i was asking him about how him and his wife navigate conversations of, about race and he said we don't or, or no it was i was going to the museum i was taking my kid to the underground railroad museum in cincinnati oh, yeah. and i was like how do you put that in context, how do you discuss it? And he was like, we just wait to see what they have questions about. So we, we take them through it, we expose them to it, and we don't really press, and we just wait to see what they ask about. And then anything they ask about, then you go in. I mean, this was the same idea that I used for my free play series, which was like, I'm just gonna make these, you know, it's fun to just pretend, you know, it's fun to like mm -hmm. pick up a, a script and be like, hey, read that part, right? Base, and then afterwards, you see what questions are there, you know, there are opportunities to, to, to go based on who you are and where your kid is at and, you know, all of that. And so that's kind of how I look at it, uh, is that you got to, like, tailor it the best you can. And also story is like, you know, you got so many things. you've I just finished this book, The Forgotten Girl. Um, it's a, it's a, a middle grade book and it's a ghost story, but really it's about segregated schools. I mean, so it's like we can talk about segregated schools, but also it's just a really wild ghost story. And, you know, and it's and it's totally creepy and in the ways it needs to be creepy. But it's also about, you know, 11 year olds and their friendship and they're working on a school project and they uncover this history. But in uncovering this history, they uncover this ghost story. And, you know, and, and so to me, that's good storytelling is that it can work on multiple levels. And so um, everything's about everything. You know, Christmas Carol is about is about poverty and, and about death and about remorse and loss and wealth and responsibility. And, you know, um, I was just 
Um, I mean, you know, Ch Charlie, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is about mm -hmm. is about um, greed and 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 um, being lonely and um, family and uh, class. You know, all those. Uh, you know, so so all the things that we are quote unquote comfortable with um, are all dealing with heavy stuff. You know, they all it all it's all heavy stuff. You know, um, but it's it's just in the execution. You don't execute it like. You know, everyone sit down. We have an important thing to talk about. Like it still has to be a one. There's got to be a once upon a time in there. I mean, Pixar understands this. Pixar goes there. Like, right. you know, it's like in order for us to tell this story of this father and this son reuniting in the midst of the of, of the ocean, you know, we've got to. We the mom has to die. Right. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. Right. Look at the beginning of Up. Right. Oh. Like. Right. It's because we have to know why these things matter. We have to know why this journey matters. We have to know why it matters if Charlie goes into the chocolate factory. Why that matters. It matters because his family is mad poor, right? And and going to a big-ass candy shop is not going to fix their poverty, but it's like it, they, they want Charlie to have this because they can't get him things. But then you see all these other rich kids, you know, so blah, blah, blah. You all know this, but... Um, no, but I, I think it's, I think it's whack and, and it's, it's, and I, I'll just say this, I get it. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm sympathetic. I'm understanding to the limitations, the realities, but it's, it's, we have to push back. We gotta, we gotta rage against the machine here. Like, I'm sorry, like these standards and all these ideas about what's appropriate and what's not. I just, I just think is, is, um, based around some fear. And I'm like, well, what is the, what are you afraid of? What are they going to become ax murderers because of they saw a play about substance abuse? Like, do you know how many kids are on sub? you know, are, 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 you know, have parents in this situation, the rise in foster care, the rise in suicide that we're seeing amongst young people. I mean, there's some real things happening to our young people around our young people. So no, I'm sorry. My, my play is not what's, is not the thing to be afraid of. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we, we got to speak to their spirits and teach them resiliency and help at least give them some, some level of context or, or, or familiarity with these kinds of things so they can begin to try to deal with them or unpack them when they inevitably happen and show up, if not to them, then to somebody they know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'll stop there. Okay. All right. So, so now we're going to, we're going to change it up. We'll okay. step away from the from the heavy so good and and um although Mabel, i'm laughing because i'm looking at our notes and at the very bottom i saw Mabel that had told me about I saw that, Tori. she told me about a drink i should try and it says tequila and squirt with tahine mm. <laughs> it's called a paloma all right big fan there you go big fan all right here we go all right your question tori asking, asking for a friend, for a friend. <laughs> You know what? We didn't get to ask about the artist fellowship, though. That's a big deal. The the United States Artist Fellow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All they right, cut me a big go. check. They were like, "We think you're special. Here's some money." That was amazing. It was amazing, guys. Uh, but it was it was really just someone nominated me. I I was like, "Here's why I think I deserve this," and they were like, "Yeah, we agree. Here you go." You deserve That's it. it. Even I though I don't do know nothing. what about you. You deserve but it. But you deserve it. You yeah. deserve it. I'm well, we do agree. Nothing. I also accept just stay black, stay black, and keep paying taxes. Stay black. <laughs> okay, here we go. Asking for a friend. In one of your pre-U.S. Artist Fellow and Director of Colorado Spring Fine Arts Center College jobs, what is one of the most bizarre things you have witnessed other human beings doing? Um, uh, I worked as a, as a, as a page, uh, in the NBC towers in Chicago where they taped talk shows, the Jenny Jones show and the Jerry Springer show. So there, I saw all sorts of just odd oddness <laughs> from the audience standing online to some of the random people in the green room. Yeah, that was, that was, those were some, that was a fascinating time. Were you ever able to take anything that you observed and then put it into character or into a play? Um, not so much, but definitely that was that was a time where I was like I was I was making a lot of I started really like making hip hop music 
um, in groups and we were very outrageous. And so I think that uh, some of the outrageousness of that time, the Jerry Springer era and, and sort of the way that I saw audiences just, just be so excited and be, and they would gas them up too. They would really, you know, remember that whole area where Jerry Springer, people were just fighting it was. It was like they were almost episode. holding him back, yes. every and then they would like release, and then they would just and go. I, that was the time I was working there, and wow. you would see how they would just really exacerbate that. So, you know, I started like booking shows, like music shows, at that time, and so I think a lot of that kind of that was the era. It was just it was a very outrageous, it was like outrageousness was in the air. It was like Gladiator. It was. It but... was. <laughs> Yeah, it was it trash. Was I mean, it was total so like the ridiculous. worst thing. Like, let's yes. just bring out the worst in humanity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. I forgot about Jenny Jones. I used to watch Jenny I Jones all the time. Yeah, yeah. Unsung, yeah. underrated. Yeah, Jenny Jones I agree. Made her mark. I agree. She made her I, mark. She did her thing. Hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. All right. And finally, do you have a writing prompt to leave our listeners with? Yes. I do have a writing prompt. Um, so one of the things from this time that has um, I've been doing a lot of over the past year is I've been writing a lot more monologues. Uh, and not just monologues, but I've been essentially writing entire pieces that are just one person speaking. The long form monologue, I call it. The long form monologue show. Um, shout out uh, Lauren Gunderson. Her play, The Catastrophist, is also a a long form monologue show. Um, and so that is my prompt for everyone is write an entire play. Um, like, I don't mean like a 90 minute play, but like a write like a, you know, eight minute, eight to 12 minute play. That is one character speaking and in, in you know, speaking uh, present tense. And by present tense, what I mean is that this character should be acknowledging that they're speaking to someone, whether that be an audience or whether that be a police officer, whether that be. So that's what I'm saying. They can be in terms of the content, the actual words they use, they can reference things in the past. But what I'm saying is that you're not writing prose. You're writing a character in a situation right now that is the only voice speaking. And uh, so that is that is the prompt. That is the challenge. Uh, and one of the and, and then I'll give like a little just a tip, you know, you can take or leave. So there are three different forms of I voice, um, of, of sort of like monologue I voice, um, you know, paradigms, we'll say, in, in playwriting. So one is obviously like I'm in a scene and we're at the dinner table and Uncle Frank just said something and I'm going to tell Uncle Frank off. OK, so that's the monologue in the scene, in the moment, you know. The other kind is the what they call the direct address. So like I'm speaking to you, audience. I'm speaking to you. Yeah, I'm speaking to you, audience. Right um, now, it, that can mean a lot of things like it can be like this is my radio show and listeners, you're you know, you're not the audience in the theater, but you are just an audience of people. Right. If you want to get real, like complicated. Uh, the third way which they don't we don't do as much anymore in the theater but as some old school stuff is the soliloquy which is the internal monologue uh characters thoughts what they're thinking in the moment um so there's all that have fun don't be nice make a mess <laughs> you have some recorded monologues right now it, it, maybe it's the project that you are still working on about Ali? The Ali Summit? Yeah, oh, the Ali Summit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. So, the Ali Summit is a piece that is, um, it was originally supposed to be like for the traditional theater at Actors Theater of Louisville. Pandemic happened. They said, we're going we're gonna to make this a digital experience. I immediately started kind of sharing my process on my website. And just as I was researching pieces, I would sort of throw pieces up and throw like, here's here's where I got this from. Or da, da, da. We, but where we ended up taking it is now it's being developed as a VR experience, um, as a real immersive, like you as, an, as a user, as a patron, it's like you're gonna be at the actual Ali Summit that occurred in 1967 in Cleveland when 
Ali said, I'm not going to fight in Vietnam. And before they decided to strip him of the title, all these other prominent black athletes decided whether or not they were going to throw their public support behind Ali. And so they met with him in Cleveland and they had a closed door conversation uh, at the Black Economic uh, um, Summit. And um, after they discussed, they came out and said, we support this brother. But, you know, no one really knows exactly what was said in that room. And so similarly the via through vr we're gonna we're gonna make it seem as if you're in that room with them and you're gonna have to figure out if you're also in support quote unquote of ali as well you know so it's yeah. but but really it's like a little more indirect it's asking you to define like what is duty and what is what is um what does it mean to be a champion what does it mean to fight and you know all like all that good stuff uh, so we're working on that which has been a trip and just such a wild experience um, but the style of writing in there for me is mostly monologues is mostly these, 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 um, these speeches, which has been fun. Um, and then, you know, there was the piece I mentioned, uh, a tribe called Tubman, which is, um, streaming now, which is a, like a 40 minute, uh, monologue, um, from, from Harriet. And then I wrote another piece for uh, Jiva theater, um, as, as part of this series they have like, uh, celebrating, um, important women, uh, who, who they're located in Rochester, New York. And so they're celebrating these um, powerful women throughout history in Rochester who, you know, who have a connection to Rochester. Um, and so I wrote a piece about uh, a woman named Lorraine Dupree, who was a teacher who was uh, basically asked to resign because she refused to, she, she thought it was important for black kids to be exposed to black stuff. And so she, she was challenging the curriculum. She was challenging the canon. She would, write poems and write songs and she basically is someone whose cloth that I'm uh uh cut from and didn't even realize uh -huh. it um so there's that piece and so yeah anyway that is awesome and plus you have locally for us right well not oh it's, I, it's not locally I guess it's going to be because it's virtual but um pick me last yes pick yes. me last for yes. La Jolla pop-up so the pop-up series yeah pick me last um it's a really fun play Shout out Jacob Kitchens, uh, yes. who directed it, and it's uh, they shot it. They it's going to be streaming. Um, they they did a, a shoot of it, um, and that's a fun fun piece about a um, young girl who learns about the butterfly effect um, and becomes convinced that if her best friend Wes gets picked the last one more time in the the recess the play playground games they play he gets picked last every single time she's she's realized that she has to put a stop to it because um she thinks that that will lead to a series of catastrophic events and so she concocts an elaborate scheme for her to get picked last and for her friend west to get picked second to last <laughs> i love it i'm so excited for that it's fun it's it's a sweet little show it's really silly too and then um we encourage anyone, everyone, to go on your website, yes. idrisgoodwin.com, and we'll have that on the show notes because there's a tremendous amount of resources on there. Um, we saw your Say My Name, Tori. Oh, I'm my gonna gosh. Give, I'm going to give you a moment, Tori, because Tori uh, was like. I went, okay, so you remember in our, this will probably get cut, but we, uh, we had talked in our one-on-one -on -one for class about, I said, oh, I, I love that video. I think it's such a great entry point for students. And so I had developed like a, a workshop on writing your own identity poem. Well, then I go on your website. I'm like, God damn, I could have saved myself a shit ton of time because there's a lesson plan on here. <laughs> I'm sure yours is better though. It's customized. No, 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 no. I was like, what? Again, what I just love is your generosity mm -hmm. of spirit and how you have made things like that accessible to teachers, to teaching artists, to say, hey, here is some of my work and here's how you can take this and use it in your classroom or with your students. It's really wonderful and thank you for that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you for using it, it and caring about <laughs> like kids. Yeah, I yeah, I don't want to create create in a vacuum, you know. So and every chance we get, we share. I remember when Mabel first saw um, your house is not just a home, and immediately she texted me, "You've got to watch this because it was so good." And I did. I showed my family as well, and just um, that you were continuing to make that art, and it was so beautiful and so thank touching. You. 
Yeah, and much gratitude to you for that. Thank you. And yes, everyone, um, the website, there are examples of monologues on there. You can see some of the work there. Um, and also, here's some of your your. I just I googled you and found like some breakbeat stuff that you were mm-hmm. doing. Hey, and that on hype man, that's you. That's you, end, right? Right? Is that you at the end? What are you talking about on the 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 like when the, they roll the on credits? The video on the oh yeah yeah yeah, the yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 it's like oh my gosh it was yeah just really well done as as well like, yeah they, they there was stuck some... their foot in that that was amazing. Holy cow, so good. Thank you so much for carving out this time for us sharing oh, space for sure. with us thanks today. Thanks for having me. I, I, yeah. I mean, thanks for doing the show. I mean, it's great. Oh my gosh. You know, as a playwright, oh my gosh. I, I love, you know, it's awesome. <laughs> He's just magic. Yeah. Starting on May 24th, you can stream a world premiere play for young audiences that was commissioned by La Jolla Playhouse and directed by our last guest, Jacole Kitchen. And that is Idris Goodwin's new play for the pop tour, Pick Me Last. We will have that information in the show notes. And I'm sorry, but I know that this is the Idris Goodwin show, but... What you got there? Do yourself another favor and check out the Anti-Racist Writing Workshop. Oh, yes! How to Decolonize the Creative Classroom by Felicia Rose Chavez, um, his spouse. And yes. That is a wonderful book. Yes, yeah. I feel like we should make an announcement. What? Mabel, the announcement about your play. We need to announce that. Okay, so here's what's cool about that. I was in a meeting... And I got a call during that meeting and was like, I don't recognize this number or whatever. They left a voicemail. That's weird because usually it's like car warranty people, but they don't normally leave a voicemail, right? So I check it. It cut out at the beginning of the message, but it was like, call me back. So I played it again and I was like, wait a minute. I recognize that voice. (laughs) I texted Tori right away. I was like, oh my gosh, Idris Goodwin just left me a voicemail. But I couldn't call because I was still in this meeting. So, of course, I'm texting, what? What? I bet this is about your play. I bet this is about your play. And guess what? It was about Mabel's play. Uh, Mabel's play, Loteria. Uh, Game on. Yes. Yes. Okay. Loteria, game on, is one of the plays that was selected as a part of the Reimagine New Plays in TYA. This is a big deal. So this is really exciting. Thank so. you for mentioning that. That's, uh, yeah, it's... Um, That's big I'm, news. Well, I'm very excited about it. It's big news for me. So with that, Tori... So until next time, yes. Until next we season. Say, oh my gosh, yes. But definitely keep checking our socials because we will be posting... Um, I think there'll be more exciting news to come and then we'll be back in a couple of months with more incredible guests. Um, this was such a, uh, wonderful season and such a great ending on a super high note. Yes. All right, world. Thank you so much. Like, subscribe, share, and, and most importantly, go look up Idris Goodwin. Yes. 